Thank you, Brother Brad, and I appreciate it. And it is good to be with you and to share uh, in, this, in this official way. And I guess it was the worst kept secret, best worst kept secret, all right? And, uh, but we are so glad to be with you and to share. This is Memorial Day, and you'll notice the title of the sermon is uh, Memorial Day Reminds Us of Pain and Suffering. So take your Bibles, turn with me, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 and chapter 4. We'll actually deal with chapter 4 for the first part, then over to chapter 1, and then back to chapter 4. But we want to talk about that for just a few moments. Uh, I'm reminded of a story of a, of a lawyer in New York, and he went down to Texas to, uh, on a dove shoot. And so he, he had shot a dove, it fell into a man's field, a farmer's field, and so he jumped over the fence and he was headed to get the bird. And about that time, the farmer who owned that field came up on a tractor and said, uh, sir, what are you doing on my field? He said, well, I just shot a, a dove and it landed right here and I've come to pick him up. He said, well, sir, I, th this is private property and I want you to get off my property. And the lawyer said, well, I'm a lawyer and I'll sue you if you don't let me pick up my bird. And so the farmer said, well, uh, let's settle this the uh, Texas three-kick style, all right? Let's settle this in the, the Texas three-kick style. And so the lawyer said, what, what do you mean settle it in three-kick style? He said, well, I tell you what, it goes like this. I'll kick you three times, and you kick me three times. And I'll kick you three times, and we'll just keep going back and forth. And, and the man that says, I give up, uh, uh, the other person will win, okay? He said, and this lawyer thought to himself, this is, this is an old, old codger here. I'm, I'm stronger, and, and I, 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 can, I can beat him at this kicking. And so he said, all right. So the farmer, he just walked over before the lawyer and knew it. He had taken that boot of his, and he had kicked that lawyer in the shin, and he bent down. And when he bent down, he kicked him again in the gut, and he just lost his breath, and he fell down. Then he kicked him on the side of the head. And, of course, he was seeing stars, and, and finally he got up, and he started over toward the farmer, and he was about to kick him. He said, yeah, man, I can, I can take him if this is what it takes. And the farmer said, nah, I give up. Go get your dove. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever felt like that? Where you have just been kicked down, and you're ready to get up, and it's over. I mean, you've just been knocked down, and you want to get up, and you want to do something, but it's too late. Or you feel like you can't. You feel like you're hurt. You feel like you're in pain. Well, this morning, as I, as I share with you, all of us maybe feel like Paul from time to time. We're going to see in just a moment. Paul got knocked down, but he wasn't knocked out. And he kept getting up and kept getting up and kept giving up. Now, the reason I'm tying this to Memorial Day is this. I want you to listen to these statistics. I didn't give them to you a moment ago, but I want you to hear them now. In the American Revolution, we lost 8,000, 8,000 casualties. In, World, in the War of 1812, we lost almost 2,300. In the Mexican-American War, we lost almost 2,000. In the Civil War, 215,000 dead. World War I, a little over 53,000. World War II, 291,000. Korea, 34,000. Vietnam, 47,000. The Gulf War, 294. Afghanistan, a little over 1,800. Iraq, over 4,400. These are the casualties. These are the dead in combat. This does not count all those others who died in related ways are, are, are collateral damage, and it doesn't include the thousands upon thousands upon thousands that were wounded. 
Memorial Day reminds us of pain and suffering. Those who lost their lives, friends, family members who suffered the grief of the loss. And our country deeply felt it in all of these periods of time. But I relate that to us today because as people have had to deal with pain and suffering throughout life, and especially as we think about war, I think about the day in, day out, week in, week out, that hardly goes by. There's not someone in the church. There's not someone in the church that's dealing with pain and suffering. Maybe you're one of those this morning. Maybe you've had to deal with in the past, but as you reflect on this passage, you will be encouraged. And for anyone who has not ever gone through any particular deep suffering or pain, then I pray that this message will prepare you because all of us will have it. And not just one time, it will come several times in our lifetime. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, he said, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. In verse 7, Paul reminds us of this fact. We have a treasure. What is that treasure? That treasure is Jesus Christ, the man of sorrows that we sang about a few moments ago. Jesus Christ himself, he is inside of us. These are, these are jars of clay. You know that we're made out of just minerals and, and water. I mean, that's all that it is to this body of ours. It is, it is clay as far as the scripture is concerned. But inside of us is a treasure, and that treasure is Jesus Christ. We look one verse back, and we look at verse 6, and it talks about the light of Jesus Christ that is to shine through us. Well, how is that light able to shine through us unless this jar of clay becomes cracked? There's no way until the jar becomes cracked. It's kind of like with Gideon. Remember when Gideon was going up against the Mennonites, or Midianites, in, in Judges chapters 5, 6, and 7, right in there? And, and so he told his troops to take clay jars and they were to put torches and at the right signal at the right time they were to throw down those clay jars and they would be broken open and the light and, and of course the Midianites thought there were thousands upon thousands that were coming upon them and they, and they started fighting amongst themselves. But it wasn't until the jars cracked that the light was able to come through. And so it is in our life, your life and my life, until these jars of clay are cracked that the light of Jesus can get through. And what God has chosen to do is to use pain and suffering to crack these jars of clay so that the light of Jesus Christ can get out into our world. So two points this morning I want to make with you is how God allows pain. How does he allow it? Well, let's look, beginning in, in, in verse 8 of our passage, 2 Corinthians, uh, beginning in verse 8. There are four ways. The first one is this, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are hard-pressed. That word pressed is the idea of pressure. It's the idea of being confined. It's the idea of the walls that are, that are caving in on us or pushing in on us. Now, I, I, I love Star Wars, the Star Wars series. I remember going to the very first one, and those of you who followed it, you know that there were nine altogether, but they started out with four, five, and six years ago, and I saw number four, which was the first movie made, and uh, I took my son, 
to the movies with some of his friends. It was kind of a birthday party. And then we came back to the house and Arlinda had, had cake ready and all, all of that. But I can still remember seeing the Star Wars movie, the very first one. And where Princess Leia and Luke and, and Han Solo and Chewbacca, they're caught in a, in a garbage hole. You remember they were trying to escape the Death Star. So they're in the garbage hole. And it was a compactor. And all of a sudden it just started pressing in. The walls started pressing in. They did all they could to try to stop it, but they couldn't do it. And at the last moment, they were rescued by, by R2-D2, and he, he was able to rescue them, but it was just barely by inches that they were saved, but they were being pressed in by the walls. There's some of you this morning, you feel the very same way. You've been pressed in, or you have in the past, and you have felt that pressure. You have felt the walls caving in. The Apostle Paul did too. Apostle Paul felt the very same thing. He went through his life at times feeling that same kind of pressure in his life. And he counted on God as he thought about this. He said, hey, I've been there. I've been pressed. But I'm not crushed. I may be broken, but I'm not crushed. And same for you. You may be going through the pressures of finances. It may be work. It may be with your family. It could be school. It, it could be a, a number of different areas of your life. And you feel that pressure and, and you're cracking. But the Bible tells us you will not be crushed. But God allows the pressure so that there will be a crack so people can see the light of Jesus in your life. Notice also in verse 8, he says, perplexed but not in despair. The word perplexed here carries the idea of someone who is in business and he is losing his business and his creditors aren't leaving him anything. There's nothing left to his business. He's in despair. He's, he, he feels like there's nothing else. And so he, he, he wants to give up. He's, he's giving in. He is perplexed in this situation. Again, the Apostle Paul felt that same kind of perplexing in his life time and time again we read in the gospel or read in his letters how that that he wondered what God was doing what God was up to he may have felt like some of us at times when we are feeling perplexed frustrated in our life and we're thinking hey God I'm your servant I'm serving you I'm loving you I'm reading my Bible every day I'm doing all the things that, that you want me to do shouldn't the road be a little bit easier for us that are committed to you but it doesn't always work out that way does it it doesn't always work out that way. It didn't for the Apostle Paul. He, he, had, he had people that were chasing him all over the place, okay, at times. And so maybe you feel the same way, that you're being chased by various folks. But you're, you're frustrated by wondering, why isn't the road a little bit easier? Even Paul wasn't alone. John the Baptist. John the Baptist was uh, there in prison in, in Jerusalem. His head is about to be beheaded and been taken off. And, and he sends word by some of his disciples back to Jesus and said, are, are, are you the one that we've been looking for or should we look for another? Isn't that interesting? Because John is the one that pointed to everybody saying, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the world. And now he's wondering if Jesus was really that person, even though he baptized him and, and, and saw the same thing Jesus did, the Spirit coming down, down like a dove. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Even after all that, he's frustrated. He's a little perplexed. What about Job in the Old Testament? He asked all kinds of questions of God. And he got very few answers about it. But he did come to a conclusion in Job chapter 13, verse 15. He said, though he slay me... I will still hope in him. 
Even though he kills me, even though I lose my life in all of this, I still have my hope in him. And here we're reminded by the Apostle Paul, when you're perplexed, don't give up, don't quit. You you will not have to spend your life in despair. Notice in verse 9, a third one, persecuted but not abandoned. Persecuted. The idea here is uh, like you're an animal and you're being chased. The hunters are after you. Paul felt that. He felt those who were chasing after him time and time again. And as you read through the book of Acts, there was a militant group of, of Jews that would follow him from city to city to city. They wanted him arrested. They wanted him punished. Paul felt that. Maybe you felt the same thing. We're living in a time where there's going to be more and more persecution in our land. Around the world, Christians are being chased now. You go to Sudan, Christians are hunted. They're hunted down. And there are other places spotty around the world that's happening. In our country, we're starting to see the same thing with this critical race theory and a number of things that are going on and this, quote, social justice. And like John MacArthur, we don't need to put social in front of justice. Justice is justice. God's justice. And so as we think about what's happening... Christians are, in a way, being hunted down. And they're being marginalized. They're being pushed to the, to the sides. And it's going to get worse. It will get worse before it gets better. The only time it's really going to get better is when Jesus comes again. Amen? Amen. But we're going to find more and more of that persecution. And we're going to have to understand that even though we're persecuted, God will never abandon us. We will not be abandoned. And then notice the last part of verse 4, or verse 9. He says, struck down, but not destroyed. In other words, knocked out. Paul knew what it was to be knocked down, but not knocked out. He was struck down, but not knocked out. He he was able to to get up time and time again. Verse 9 is a reminder of that. But I'm not destroyed. I'm going to keep on going. I'm going to keep on moving in my life. I think he's talking about personal failures here. There are times that we go through, times we go through those, those periods where we feel like maybe like the gladiators in the, in the old days because that's the picture here being knocked down. They were knocked down by, by their opponent and the opponent was waiting for the thumbs up or the thumbs down. Thumbs up they would live, thumbs down they would die. And again, maybe you have felt the very same thing, but Paul said he keep, kept on getting up. Three times he, had to, he prayed about that thorn in the flesh. But what did he do? He kept moving on. He kept getting up. Thorn or no thorn, he was going to keep on because God says, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. And that's what happens when our vessels are cracked. We have the the life of Jesus, his light shining through to this lost world, and we just keep getting up. That's what God wants us to do. Some of you are Rocky fans. You remember the old Rocky movies? Uh, you may not know this, but when S- Sylvester St- uh, Stallone starred in them, he actually wrote the script for the first Rocky. He went to a number of different film companies wanting them to, to, to make the film. He finally found one, and they made it, and it became a hit. The series of Rocky Balboa. But what did Rocky teach us? You get knocked down, but you get right back up. And no matter how many times we get knocked down, we get backed up, get back up. So Paul here is reminding us, this is how God allows pain in our life in these various ways we read in verse 8 and 9. But the question now is, why does God allow pain? 
Why does he allow the pain in our life? Well, I want to propose to you there are three reasons God allows personal pain in our life. And let's look at the first one. First of all, pain forces you to rely on God alone. It allows you to rely on God and God alone. Would you turn back just one, one page there to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9? We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the, in, the, in the providence of Asia. We were under great pressure. There it is. We're under great pressure. We were pressed far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. I mean, even Paul was admitting... God did this, he allowed this, so that, that we might, might be able to rely on God. It forces us to put our minds back on the things of God. That's what pain will do for us. When we're, things are going good in our life, what do, we, what do we have a tendency to do? We have a tendency just to kind of go along and we begin to drift. We may drift from our Bible reading, we may drift from serving, we may even drift from attendance from time to time. But when pain happens, what does it do? It drives us back. It drives us back to our God. It drives us back to our Bible. Drive, drives us back to the church, to the fellowship of believers. Back to what we know is true. Often it takes that point of desperation in our life for that to happen. Remember Jonah. Jonah in the Old Testament was told of God, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to preach. And so Jonah, what did he do? He turned around and ran. He went the other way. And he was on that boat. And you remember the story about that in chapter 1. And he's thrown into the, in, into the, uh, to the, to the sea. And a fish comes along. This giant fish comes along and, and swallows him. And in chapter 2, verse 1, we're reading that in the belly of the whale, what did Jonah do? He cried out to God. He cried out to God. The pain forced him to rely on God. That's why he allows it in our life. It drives us back to him and to depend upon him and to serve him. It takes sometimes the point of desperation to get that. We are human. We, we have feet of clay. And because of that, God will bring pain. Allow that in your life. Not to hurt you, but to bring you back to him so he can comfort you. Notice something else in the scripture. Pain focuses your attention on heaven. Let's go back to chapter 4. And we find that pain will force your attention on heaven. And, but let me set you up for just a moment. In this passage we're about to read in verses 16, 17, and 18 of chapter 4, I want you to understand something about the triunity of God, of, 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 of you, our, your body and your soul and your spirit. The triunity of you. When you look at Travis Coleman right now, you see a unit. You see a person. You see Travis. Travis is made up of a body. That's what you see on the outside. You see how I'm talking to you, moving my hands, I'm reacting to you, and I'm relating to you. I'm looking out, and I see you, and I see your body. I see you reacting. I see you uh, relating to me through your body. But inside of me and inside of you, there's, there's a soul and there's a spirit. The soul is your personality. 
The soul is the, where it, it holds the will of your life. It's where you think, the intelligent part of you and the feeling part of you. That's your personality. And that personality can be expressed through your body, through your words, and, and through your senses. But there's another part of you, a third part, that's deep down in the recesses of you and the inner sanctum of you. It's called the spirit. It's where you relate to God. Now, folks, you can't dissect uh, Travis Coleman. You can't put his body over here and put his soul right here and put his spirit right here. I am one. I'm a unit. But for discussion's sake, I can divide it out. I can, I can speak of my body. I can speak of my soul. And I can speak of my spirit. And not to confuse you, what we're about to see in the scripture here is a two-part division of what I just talked about. Verse 16 is going to talk about the body, the outward part, but it's also going to talk about the inner part, your soul and spirit, because, see, you can't see the soul and the spirit. So now with that, this should make more sense, what he says in verse 16. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. I'll come back to that in a moment. Though outwardly, we are wasting away. Yet inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. So let's take that first phrase. Yet in, uh, outwardly, we're wasting away. Would anyone deny we're, not, we're, we're, we're all getting older? We're all getting older. I, I, I did two funerals, Thursday afternoon, yesterday morning. Uh, Thursday was for an 89-year-old. Yesterday was for a 92-year-old. We're, we're growing older. Their bodies wore out. And so their bodies died. And it makes no difference what you do to your body, how well you take care of your body. And don't get me wrong, I believe in exercise, and some of you can see, I need to lose a little weight, all right? And we need to exercise, we need to eat right, we need to sleep, we need to do all those things. But the Bible tells us this body's going to die. This is an earth suit. We're made of clay. And what I have here cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So the outward wastes away. This is temporary. But don't despair. Life is made up more than just the physical. All right? And so that's why Paul goes on to tell you in, in verse uh, 16, while the outward is wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. There's something that's happening in our bodies. There is, there is a, a strengthening that's going on inside of our bodies. Our soul, our spirit continues to be refreshed. And when this body dies, it goes into the grave. But this soul, spirit of mine, it's going to enter into eternity. And what happens on the outside has no effect on what's on the inside of my life. Let me give you an example. I had a ministry assistant I shared with someone earlier who had been a ministry assistant here for 12 years. And my first one in, in Prattville, uh, I had her for between five and six years, Faye George. Wonderful lady. Uh, it was a little difficult at, at first because she was the same age as my mother. All right. But we had a great relationship. But the sad thing about it was after she retired, her husband had died of a heart attack years before. Three years after he retired, she developed leukemia and she passed away and I was real saddened by that because she was such a sweet lady and, and we worked well so well together but but what made me happy was this her daughter said this about her said mama the last two months of her life spent more time in heaven than she did on earth and I used this verse at her funeral she spent more time in heaven than she did on earth because verse 16 says her body was wasting away 
But on the inside, she was being renewed day by day by day. And that's what happens to us in our Christian life. Now notice in verse 17, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Notice in verse, in verse 17, our light and momentary troubles. Whatever is happening to you, even what happened to Faith, was only temporary. It was just a little inconvenience, a temporary inconvenience. Everything that happens to us, folks, remember, it's only going to be for a little while. That's why he says in verse 16, therefore, we do not lose heart. Because whatever you're going through, death, it doesn't last for eternity. The pain you may be feeling doesn't last for eternity. The financial issues you're going through does not last through eternity. Any health issue doesn't last through eternity. Family troubles do not last through eternity. The grief that we go through does not last. Rejection, betrayal, whatever it is that brings pain in your life does not last for eternity. And these troubles we're talking about here, we're not talking about just minor little things, okay? Paul, in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, he talked about being shipwrecked. He talked about being beaten, about being in prison, about being stoned. He knew what troubles were all about. But he said all of these are light and momentary because in verse 17 it says, for they are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. The eternal glory in the presence of our great God. He's talking about being in the presence of God, being in heaven. Anything that happens here does not matter. It is outweighed by the day that we enter into the presence of God. And all that we thought was taking an eternity down here was only light and momentary as far as God was concerned. When you understand this, it makes this life so much easier. Notice in verse 18, he gets to the heaven part. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen. So what do you fix your eyes on? You fix your eyes on heaven. The phrase there, fix your eyes, in the Greek is scopus. We get the word scope from it. When we talk about eternity, we're talking about looking at it, something that cannot be seen. We've not been able to see heaven. We have it described here, but we can't see heaven, can we? But we have to accept it on faith. We believe it, even though we have not seen it yet, we still believe it. Aren't there things that you can't see that you believe in? The, the word scope, let's take the word scope. Let's take the Hubble telescope. The Hubble telescope was able to, to show thousands of galaxies that are out there. You can't see it with your naked eye, but you can see it with that Hubble telescope. What about the microscope? The microscope shows us things on slides. We can't see with the naked eye like this coronavirus. We can't see it ourselves, but thank God scientists have been able to see it with a microscope. Well, folks, what you and I need is a faithoscope. We need a faithoscope. And we believe in faith. What we cannot see with our eyes, that which is invisible to us, we believe it. And this Bible is my scope that helps me to see by faith what is invisible to my naked eye. So the scripture reminds us in verse 18, the fact that all that is in this world temporary. But that which is unseen is permanent, is an eternal. Everything around us that you see right now that is real, all of this is going to pass away, the Bible says. Heaven and earth will pass away. 
But what is real is what's going to be in heaven and the presence of God. Can I remind you, this is one of the reasons why we better stop putting so much of our energy into things that are not going to last. God gives us a lot of things here to enjoy. There are some of you that you have hobbies. Praise God for them. And we have sports. Praise God for that. We like to travel. Praise God. Like to garden. Flowers. I mean, we could go on and on. But be careful. Don't spend so much time on those things that are temporary that are going to fade away. And forget to put our emphasis on fixing on our eyes on things that are unseen, that are going to last through eternity. Remember Elijah in the book of 2 Kings chapter, chapter 6, Elijah. He had a servant. And they were going up against these Armenians. The Armenians were surrounding them. And, and the servant was so upset. And Elijah said, hey, be cool. Everything's going to be okay. And, and the servant says, what do you mean everything's going to be okay? There's one of me, and there's, there's two you. There's just two of us. And look out there. There's one, two, three, six hundred, two thousand people, two thousand soldiers. What do you mean? Be cool. Everything's going to be okay. And Elijah prayed, Elijah prayed, Lord, open his eyes. And God opened the eyes of the servant. And he saw all the horses and the chariots of fire that were in the hills surrounding. And there were more with us, Elijah said, than with them. And can I remind you that's the same for you and me. We need to pray that prayer, Lord, just open my eyes so I can see that which I can't with my naked eye, but with my faithoscope, with my spiritual eyes, I can see. And one of those things we need to focus our attention on is heaven. Focus on heaven. Now, lastly, one more. Pain forms you to be more like Jesus. Just quickly, let's go to verse, verse 10, chapter 4. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our bodies. Folks, Jesus went through so much pain. And now this verse, along with other verses, says we too take on the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. In, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul talks about wanting to take on the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what the sufferings does, it helps us to have an attitude like Christ. It helps us to be like Christ, like we talked about last Sunday morning. Now let me close with this illustration. It seems that as I started the message, there may be somebody here who's struggling. And we, and we want to pray for you, even though we don't know who you are, what you may be going through. And some may, may know, some of your uh, fellow church members, Sunday school class, your friends may know what's going on. But most likely, there are some here you're just kind of struggling in quiet. And I just want you to know there is hope. There is hope for you and for all of us, whether we've in the past or whether we're in the future, our struggles. I just want to encourage you to keep on enduring, keep on what Paul talked about here in verses 8 and 9. That through the pain, even though God's allowing it to happen, he's got a purpose. But rest assured, he will be with you and he will never abandon you. Over here, I want to show you a little demonstration to help you understand exactly what I'm talking about. Now, I'm going to make some of you really thirsty, all right? Right now, I'm going to make you thirsty. i got two Coke bottles up here. 
But I want you to know that these two Coke bottles, there is a major difference between these two Coke cans that I have up here. All right? And let me show you. This one right here. Why was I able to squeeze this one so easily? Because there's nothing in it. This symbolizes a life where a lot of people who claim to be Christians, who think they know God, they're spiritual. There are a lot of people on the outside, they advertise one thing, but there's nothing on the inside. And when troubles and sorrows and problems come, they're just squeezed because there's no internal pressure. The external pressure is coming down upon them, and it's squeezing them. And it's bending them all out of shape because there's nothing on the inside. But here I have another can. And you know, as hard as I'm squeezing right now, I can't crush this. Why? Because the external pressure I'm putting on it can't do anything to the internal pressure and even more that's on the inside of this can. It's full. It, it's, it is what it's advertised, that there's supposed to be Coke on the inside. That's what's on the inside, is the Coke. And no matter how much pressure I'm putting on it right now, I can't even dent it because of the internal pressure. And even more than you see. Because what happens if I shook this thing right now and opened it? Now oh, you're worried down here, aren't you? You know what would happen if I shake this thing and open it up? It's going to spray all over because there's more on the inside than on the outside. This is a picture of you and me with Jesus Christ in our life. With Jesus Christ, when I'm full of Jesus, no matter what the external pressure, I have Jesus in my life. And I am able to endure and make it through whatever comes my way. Remember in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Would you bow your heads with me? Your heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Memorial Day reminds us of pain and suffering. Our fellow citizens who gave their life that we might be able to have what we have today. But there's also a word for you and me as we go through life and we're enduring pain and suffering. Paul tells us in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 4 what we can expect in life. God allows the pain. No secret. But we don't have to Worry about quitting, being abandoned, the despair, being crushed. Because Jesus has filled us with his love, with his light. He cracks us so we can show the love to the world. And we show Jesus to the world. What it is to be a follower. And when the pain comes, may your, 
May it force you to rely on him more than ever before. May it cause you to focus on heaven. And when it comes, may it form you to be more like Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Thank you, Father, for these moments. Thank you for speaking to us through a visual, through your word, as your spirit speaks to our spirit that is within us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.